Hello and welcome to the Tech Journeys podcast. Today we're joined by Ben Mancini. Ben Mancini is the software engineering manager for Cambridge-based Redgate Software. We'll be talking to Ben about his journey through technology, from being a customer service representative with Aviva, working right through to where he is today. We'll then be having a chat with Ben about everything to do with agile practices. So sit back, enjoy the show, and if you like, hit the like button, subscribe, look out for further episodes. So hello and welcome to the uh, the next instalment in the uh, the Tech Journeys podcast. Um, I'm Sean Rhinus, and today we are joined by Ben Mancini. Um, ben is the development manager at Redgate Software, uh, responsible for three software engineering teams. Um, he's also an agile coach and the uh, co-founder of the Cambridge Agile Exchange. So hi, Ben. How are you doing? Hi, Sean. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, how are you doing? You okay? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Good, good. good. Um, you had a busy day or...? Uh, it's, it's not been too bad, and I put that mainly down to booking out my diary for this. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so thank you. Yeah, <laughs> managed to get you, a, get you get you an afternoon off. Are you, um, <laughs> are you are you working from home at the minute then? Yeah, uh, I mean we've been working from home since uh, end of February, beginning of March, and really? um, right. Okay. Yeah, the, the entire company went remote at that point, and. Um, I think initially, because the same of everyone, we expected lockdown to just be until autumn. Um, we were sort of anticipating coming back into the office in September, and then we were told, no, the office won't be open until Q4. And then it became um, spring next year. Right, and then, okay. And then it moved to the summer next year. So at the moment, on paper, we won't have been into the office for a year and a half by the time this finishes. Are you enjoying that? Do you like it working from home? Or? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough along the way. You know, um, it was a big change for everyone. And, and being in a, a, a managerial sort of role, um, it's tough to have the, the in-depth one-to-one conversations that you could normally have across from a desk from someone um, yeah. when you're on a Zoom call. So that's, that's taken some getting used to. Um, but I think for the most part, the entire company is, is really moved to remote working really well. Um, right. I think part of that has been the culture of the company, really, that's helped. Yeah. Um, well, to be fair, I think um, Redgate Software have uh, got a very, very good reputation within the technology market. So if anybody can do that well, I expect it's them. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's bloody well hard-earned. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely helped us. I think. Good stuff. Um, so, obviously, like I mentioned to you, Ben, the reason that I wanted to invite you onto the uh, onto the podcast was it's about your kind of journey through technology to where you've been today, to be honest with you, that interests me and I expect will interest other people. Um, a lot of people are kind of looking at technology as a career opportunity or a kind of career change for themselves these days. Um, and more and more so with everything that's going on, we're seeing more and more people come through like uh, tech academies and things like that. Um, and one of the things that really interested me about your experience was the fact that your initial role over at Viva working as a customer services representative yeah. um, did very, very well at Aviva. Um, and then a few steps on, you're the uh, kind of agile coach and development manager for one of the, one of the most re- reputable businesses in Cambridge, to be honest with you, from a technical yeah. perspective. 
Um, so I just wanted to dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, probably first 20 minutes or so, we'll have a chat on that. Um, and then we've had quite a few sub, uh, questions submitted around agile practices, uh-huh. okay. agile development. <laughs> um, not, nothing too high level. Um, yeah. It's more of an understanding of kind of what advice have you got for other people out there who maybe want to follow in your footsteps um, and kind of understand how does somebody actually go from working for a company like Aviva um, at the kind of lower tier and then yeah. end up going from, to be fair, customer services through to Scrum Master. I mean, that's, that's a, a really, really, really good achievement. Um, so why don't we start by you telling me a little bit about, um, I think where we like to start usually is, how, how did you become interested in technology? Where did that come from? Um, I, I think, to be honest, it came from childhood. Um, you know, um, when I was growing up, we did the, the typical family thing of, of having a, a home computer, and, and we had a lot of those. You know, the first one we had was a Sinclair Spectrum, I think, with a tape deck on it. And, um, you know, the, the purpose of having that in the house was to be able to do, you know, work, schoolwork, those sorts of things on it. And it was never used for that at all. The ulterior motive was for me and my brother to play games on it. Um, and it kind of went from there, really. You know, the home life was the thing that really got me interested in tech, computers, um, video games more than anything else. That sounds like quite a geeky answer, but um, tech was always interesting in the round home life. Um, school, on the other hand, the, the sort of education we had around IT was pretty lacking, to be honest. And, right. and I guess that's why it's, it's something I've got a firm focus on now, really, is supporting STEM education. And there's a couple of things I've done uh, the last couple of years, mainly, that help hopefully support that. Um, but yes, yeah, school uh, didn't really encourage it. Um, and I didn't take it as a subject uh, in college, um, really. Um, it was only really when I got into work that technology became this big thing, Um you know, I, I say to my own kids that having at least a basic understanding of computers is is really important now because yeah. it's very difficult to have a job now where you you don't rely on an aspect of that. No, that's true. So my my mother, um, she's not tech savvy at all, yeah. uh, and because of this pandemic, she's ended up losing her job, um, yeah. and she's really struggling to find employment now. Uh, and the reason for that is it's because everything is so remote working. Yeah. And she doesn't. She doesn't. She can't even use um, a kind of basic, basic kind of office office setup on a computer. Yeah. Uh, and she's struggling to find work just because of that fact as well. I mean, for, for me, it, you know, this pandemic has really shown just how poorly funded um, support for STEM subjects in school is. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to numerous teachers over the last couple of years about the support that they have, the funding they have to teach kids about science, technology, uh, mathematics, subjects, those sorts of areas. And and it's really lacking compared to, you know, English. Um, I, I, you know, I would challenge anyone to say that STEM subjects are less important than, you know, the typical GCSEs we take, because as we're all starting to find now working remote, you really do need these skills. Yeah. Um, and they're the sort of skills that you need if you're applying for a new job. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that um, as kind of society moves moves forwards and as the years kind of tick on as well, it's going to become more important that the the whole education system is reviewed, um, because as as times change, so do the skills that people need. Um, so that's definitely something that needs recognising. I mean, the, the the other thing that concerns me around um, 
the sort of IT education sector really is is the gender split as well. You know, yeah. we, we talk about the gender split in work. Well, that starts with education. Um, you know, many teachers I've spoken to <clears throat> will talk about the fact that at first school when they're doing basic IT and scratch and coding, um, you know, the basic building blocks there, the, the split is 50-50 because that the entire class does it. And when it becomes an optional subject to take at GCSE, that percentage drops down to maybe 25%, 20% of females. Right. But by the time you're at college and university, it's 10% or less. And then at university, it's maybe one or two people in that, that class. Oh, that's unbelievable. Well, there's, there's a guy that I know, he's the CTO for a business in Manchester, a guy called Liam. Um, and he's, he helps a lot, similar to yourself, within schools and things like that when it comes to kind of technology. Um, and he actually shared something um, a few days ago in one of the groups that we're in. Um, whereas he he's running a coding boot camp at the minute. Yeah. Um, and there's a girl who's come to the coding boot camp who's about 24. Um, and he was talking to her and he, he was asking her, why is she only getting in, into technology now? And she, her answer was that she tried to get into top-notch technology when she was in the later years of school. Um, but her teacher actually said to her, you can't do that class because you'll be the only girl in it. Didn't allow her to do the, uh, the IT course that she wanted to do at the time. Yeah, and and then we we struggled to wonder why we we have the gender split that we have. Yeah. Um, you know, studies have shown that having a, an equal distribution of, of genders in in IT helps teams. It makes them more productive. It makes them more efficient and effective. And yet we're we're still failing to plug that gap in education. Really, yeah. and that's the key point for me. Really, is if you fail to do that, then it's just an upwards um, collapse of it. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's, at least it's something that's kind of coming to people's attention these days. I think yeah. over the uh, at least the last five years, it's becoming a bit more kind of dominant and and, yeah. and more talked about within the industry, which, which, which is great. great. Yeah, which is fantastic. Like this has got a long runoff. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, from a recruitment perspective, we we sometimes see companies not from a kind of gender bias perspective, but if they've got a number of good candidates that they're kind of they could offer a job to they may sometimes kind of sway um, just to build the balance in the teams and things like that. Um, so obviously you come from quite untraditional um, route into, yes. into, into technology. Um, did you study law? Did I see you studied law? Uh, yes. Yeah, so when I was at college, I, I had no plans to go into IT whatsoever. So I was studying law, English language, history, um, because I wanted to be a barrister. Um, you know, people that know me well will know that I like a good debate or, or <laughs> like an argument. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was the thing that really interested me. And it's, it's something that still interests me, but I, I kind of looked at the costs of that and it just priced me out of it really because um, in order to complete that, I would be tens of thousands of pounds in debt. And, oh, really? um, after college, um, I kind of looked at that typical gap year of, well, I'll go and get a job for a year and decide what I want to do, whether I want to go to university. And I applied at Aviva, which was Norwich Union at that point, um, as a, a customer service representative. And I thought, I'll do this for a year and see where I end up. And um, the typical thing that happens is once you start earning a wage, um, that puts you off wanting yeah. to be in debt and, um, you know, going to university and studying when you've got this job and it's quite stable and um, you feel like you're starting to do some good work there. So it, it closed down that avenue to me. Um, and I worked in customer service for a couple of years at Aviva and moved around a bit. 
And um, then I got an opportunity to go and do some testing on uh, a, a product that was going to be released by Aviva. So and, can, I, um, can I just ask on that before you move on? Did you yeah. get the opportunity to do some testing because of um, like ex- previous experience that you'd had playing around with technology or was it uh, just an opportunity that presented itself? I, I think it helped. I, I think it was a case of, hey, look, we've got this, this chance to go and get involved in doing some um, what was user experience testing of um, this product. Um, is anyone interested? And I just kind of stuck my hand up. I was getting a little bit bored and, and feeling like I was getting a bit stale doing the customer service side. So I stuck my hand up for it. Um, I obviously showed some interest because they picked me for it. Yeah. Um, and I did that for about three months, I think. And um, it wasn't a job um, at the end of that. There was no guarantee of a job or anything. But um, a couple of weeks later, they posted some roles for some test analysts in their user acceptance team. And I kind of thought, well, I've I've done this recently. I'll apply for it and see what happens. And um, I got the job. Right. So, uh, so I moved across to um, what was, you know, a fairly big IT function. You know, Aviva at that point was a very big company. It still yeah. is. Um, I think it still employs something like 35,000 people across the world. But at that point, it was even bigger. Um, and I moved across to IT, um, started as a test analyst. Um, the typical user acceptance testing, UAT, style um, role where you're right at the end of the IT life cycle and you've you've got what you think is four weeks to test something that ends up being maybe two weeks or a week um, and you purposefully have to go and break these things it sounded like a great job to me you know you <laughs> break things um, yeah. and that was really my foot into IT um, right okay I kind of progressed in in testing um, I became a lead tester I think after the first year so I was leading a small team of testers. Um, and then I became a test manager. Um, and that's where people management started to um, become a big part of what I was doing uh, with project management there as well. Um, and I became a program test manager where I was looking after a number of test managers and programs, um, got involved in program management at that point as well. Um, and then I was doing release test management, which is being responsible for the entire life cycle of testing. Um, at Aviva still. Um, and I was quite happy with my lot at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I had a good job. It, it was a stable job. It was interesting work. Um, and then I bumped into a guy who had the coolest name for a job that I'd ever seen, which was Scrum Master. I had no idea what it was, but it sounded really cool. Um, and the more I spoke to him, the more um, earth-shattering that sort of job sounded to me it it was completely different to what I was doing um you know the the role I was doing was in a very structured what we would call a waterfall style environment where you get your tasks given to you once another area has completed their tasks you do your tasks and then you pass it to someone else to complete theirs yeah and he was doing it completely differently you know he had um testers and business analysts uh, and users all working together um in very, very short windows to go away and build and test something and then get it out to production. And that sounded crazy to me because, you know, with my testing hat on, I thought, well, that's a big risk. You know, we're putting stuff out there really quickly. You're not getting a lot of time to test it. Surely that's going to break things. Um, But it didn't. It worked. And um, I think that was really the foot in the door that I needed um, to really change quite significantly the job I was doing. Um, So how how did um, 
So how did Aviva react from you kind of changing that um, methodology internally? Was it was that a challenge for you or was it something that they kind of gave you the freedom to do? No, I mean, it, I, I, I left Aviva a number of years ago and I've heard it's changed quite fundamentally since then. But at that time, Agile was just this um, project, this mini prototype thing that they were trying in one of their areas. Um, right. And it was quite hard to get involved in that without purposefully trying to manoeuvre yourself into a job that was responsible for that. Yeah. Um, so one of my last jobs at Aviva um, was as uh, a release uh, management coordinator. Um, so that was being responsible for the big bulky releases that Aviva would do maybe once, twice, three or four times a year. Um where they would drop lots of changes into a production environment. And that would typically be done over a weekend from about Saturday at midnight through to about Sunday afternoon because that was the least busy time to do it. Yeah. And that carries untold amounts of risk because you are switching off production systems, very difficult to roll back changes if they go wrong, so you have to fix forward. Um, and it was still that very archaic waterfall process. Um, but that was the role I was doing, and then I met this Scrum Master and um, I basically just shadowed him and became his stalker for the next three months, really, and just was picking up as much knowledge as I could from him and watching and observing. Um, his name was Steve Grafton, by the way, so if he ever listens to this, thank you very much, Steve, <laughs> but for completely changing my, my job in life. Yeah. Um, and then I tried to bring some of that back to the area I was working in, and um, you know, in answer to your question, that was incredibly hard to do because we'd been drilled for years in this is how you do IT, this is how you deliver change and manage change, um, and you absolutely can't risk putting stuff into production without a big process around it of checks and balances to make sure it works. So trying to get a function which wasn't even a software development function to try and adopt some agile practice was really, really difficult. Um, it took the best part of six months, and even then... Um, I, I made the error, which I've, I've talked about previously, of um, trying to do Agile by the book, which is reading something like the Scrum Guide and then applying it religiously to the teams that I was working with. Yeah. And it, initially it worked, but then people start to ask questions and challenge it, and I had no answers because I didn't have the experience other than this book. Um, right, yeah, yeah. It didn't work as successfully at that point. Yeah, it, we get a lot of companies... Um, one of the questions that we would ask, we'll get onto this in a bit, but um, one of the, a lot of the questions that we've got asked is uh, later on we'll be asking you what is agile, <laughs> and the, the reason for that is everybody seems to have a different variation of what agile looks like. Um, but then when you discuss this with customers, when you're kind of um, when we're part, the customers that we're partners with and we're talking about the kind of methodology through the business, there's always a quote that comes up: "You've got to be agile with agile." It's not um it's not take it by the book and apply it. You've got to take take the principles, find out how they work with that team that you're working with, uh, and kind of be agile in the way that you implement agile. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely right. And and for me, it's a real soapbox that I get on about that. You know, the agile industry as as it stands today. You know, it's is more than one podcast warrants. I think to talk about. <laughs> Um, but it's, you know, it is an industry. It is a money-making industry now, Agile. And that means you have to be incredibly careful what you do because yeah. at the end of all of this process are people. Um, there's people in your teams, there's people you work with, and there's customers. And 
woe betide you if you mess that up and yeah. you have a real risk of messing that up quite badly. And I've done that myself. And, you know, I've, I've blogged about that and talked about the many, many mistakes I've made um, using agile techniques. So right. something you need to be careful of. Right. Okay. Um, that, that's, that's really my foot into into technology scrum master yeah right okay uh, well one thing i would ask then so would you say that you um you kind of you credit aviva for giving you that opportunity and kind of getting you to where you are today or do you think you would have still somehow ended up within technology um i, I would say yes and no uh, yes because they let me do this thing with a department for six months yeah uh, and then we we reverted back anyway um, right. and and no, I guess, because in order to really become a Scrum Master, I had to take redundancy and leave Aviva. Um, oh, okay. At, at that point, it wasn't really a, a big, serious thing that they were doing. It absolutely is now, and, and fair play to Aviva for, you know, investing in it. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I had to move on, and that's where I um, then moved to uh, a company called Velocix as a, an out-and-out Scrum Master at that point. So I've done some recruitment for Velocix. Is it Nokia? Yeah. It is, yeah. So it yeah. was Velocix, uh, which was a Cambridge-based company, uh, which was all around CDN hardware and technology. Uh, so CDN's a, a cash delivery network. So if you think of Amazon, Love Film, uh, Netflix, those sorts of things where you are watching and consuming content, CDN networks are what bring that content down through the network and cache it so um, you don't have buffering appear on your screen. Right, okay. So that's what CDN networks do. They're very reliant on IP and, and uh, telephony technology, uh, which is why they were then acquired by Alcatel-Lucent, who were then acquired by Nokia. Right. And that all happened in the two years I was there. So it was oh, quite really? Amazing. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, and then you went through from Nokia um, and you were with EPOS for a, about a year. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately ended up with, uh, with, with Redgate Software. So do you want to give us an overview of what, you, uh, what your kind of responsibilities are and what you're doing at Nokia, uh, Redgate then at the moment? Yeah, so, so Redgate, I, I think, I really landed on my feet there. I was very lucky to, to get that role when it came up. Um, it's, it's quite a difficult role to describe because it's not, when I talk about a development manager role, you would expect a development manager to be very close to engineering, have a background in software development, be working day to day with software engineers. And that's not what the role is at, at Redgate, which is why we, um, I think sometimes in the past we've had difficulty recruiting for that role because of the name of that role. Um, Actually, what that role is, is it's three different things, which um, I think the background I've had has certainly helped me in that role. Um, you're a program manager because you're managing a program of work and change. So you'll look after multiple teams that are probably all working on the same products um, as part of a solution. Uh, you are a senior people manager because you are managing the managers that manage those teams, if that makes sense. And you are also, ideally, you, you've got a, a good set of experience in agile techniques because you also need to be an agile coach or have scrum master type experience where you're able to really go into a team and help them deliver as efficiently, as effectively as possible. And, and that, for me, is a big plank of agile. Um, so that's, that's the three aspects of the role that all come under this description of development manager. Right, Okay. Okay, well, to be fair, I think that's a good overview for the first 20, 25 minutes of uh, 
it kind of gives us the credibility of why we should be asking Ben a few additional <laughs> questions on on Agile. Um, so, we, first of all, from from your perspective, you've all, you've already mentioned that um, there's quite a bit of confusion between different businesses, different teams as to what constitutes Agile, what is Agile. Yeah. Um, we, there's been many a time where we've we've taken a job description or we've been working with a partner in partnership with a business and. They've told us that they they practice agile practices. Their teams are agile. You tell that to a candidate. The candidate goes in. He starts on the first day, and then he calls you up saying, "You told me this was agile." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we see we, that, that's a common occurrence. To be honest with you, and it's quite a difficult one to get around from our perspective. Mm. Um, so, give us an overview from uh, from Ben's perspective. What's agile? Well, the, I mean, the, the answer I always give to this when I'm initially asked this is is the typical politician's response, which is, well, what do you think is agile? <laughs> and and that, that's a bit of a palm off. But but the reason I ask that is because exactly as you've described, everyone has got a different opinion on what they think agile is. Yeah. Um, so for me to provide that, you know, that holy grail of what agile is, I think would be incorrect. What I think agile is, is it's a way of delivering valuable software to customers as efficiently and as effectively as possible without harming anyone. And I really emphasize that final point because if you do this badly, you really can harm not just your customers, but the people you work with and the people you have to come into the office and sit next to every day. Right. So that's, that's why I always suggest that you tread carefully and you do a lot of observing before you go in and try and change anything. Well, that kind of brings me to a question that we got from one of the uh, one of the managers that we work with in Cambridge. He wanted us to ask you, uh, typically, where do companies or teams tend to go wrong when it comes to implementing agile within their business? Oh, so many. <laughs> so the, the typical approach that maybe an SME or even, well, enterprises are renowned for doing this is um, you will go and hire a bunch of what you believe are agile experts. Um, you know, I'm not going to name any companies here, but we all know the big consultants. Some of them are working with the government at the moment and doing a fantastic job of <laughs> messing up Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Well, you'll go and hire one of those companies. You'll pay a lot of money for their expert agile consultants to come in. Those agile consultants will come in and tell you how to do things by the book. You'll then go and try and implement it by the book. Those consultants have left, which means you don't have the expertise in your business to do it and you'll fail. And that then leaves the C-level leadership with a bad taste in their mouth because they've spent all of this money on something that doesn't work. And it leaves their teams hating agile because they were promised the earth and all of our jobs changed, all of our processes changed that we're really comfortable with. And now it's not working. So we hate agile. And that's typically where I've ended up coming into a company or a business and then trying to fix it um, successfully and unsuccessfully, I'd add, in case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So would you say that um, in regards to like consultancies or agile contractors and agile transformation managers, these kind of guys, it's, it'd be a far better approach to teach your existing staff or uh, at least bring in a permanent employee who's going to be doing that work as opposed to kind of consulting. Yes, yes and no. Um, I, I absolutely think genuine agile consultancies and contractors are, are needed 
for this. Yeah. You know, you can't just do all of this in-house. You can't train your people just in, in-house. You need those experts to come in either as a contractual basis or a, a consultancy basis to help. Um, but you need to just observe to start with. Look at your existing processes in your teams. Where are the bottlenecks? Where are the bits that break? What are the high-risk scenarios that your your teams have to deal with? And look at tackling them first. You don't even have to call it Agile. It's an efficiency program more than anything else around some of this. And just look at that first. Look at how the teams deal with that, how they talk to each other, how they talk to different departments. And start from there. And then start to train some of your people up to do the job that the consultants and the contractors are doing before you even think about trying to do anything as grand as what people call an agile transformation, because that way just lies error and failure. So that's the first thing I would suggest is just come in and watch, start to train people up on the key roles and keep them there for a period of time before you then start to try and change anything. Okay. Are there any um, kind of key resources that you've found to be very helpful over the years or any, yeah, I'd, I'd say like maybe resources, training material, mm-hmm. courses that you've been on. Like say somebody's listening now and they're going through a process at the minute of trying to become more agile as a development yeah. team. Are there any kind of recommendations that you would have? Um, there's, there's, there's a few and, and I always temper these answers with, uh, but also find your own way, um, which yeah. again sounds like a real politician's answer, but mm-hmm. agile as an industry is a money-making industry now. Um, You can go on a certification course for pretty much anything you can think about that's got Agile tacked on the end of it in order to make it sound like it's going to really help you. And I would say from experience and from speaking to hundreds of people that have done many of these certification courses, most of them aren't worth the money. Um, You can save that money and do self-training and just shadowing people that are doing this job in order to get the same experience. And in fact, you'll get more experience because the certification courses typically deal with best practice outcomes. So if you do this, if you adopt Scrum, your teams will all adopt it and love it. It will all work perfectly well. Your stakeholders will love you. You'll deliver software instantaneously and you'll save loads of money. That's not what happens in real life. What happens is people. Um, people have different opinions, different views. People go through the change curve at different speeds as well, which means not everyone's going to get on board at the same time. You will have people that act actively trying to sabotage what you're doing. And it takes time. You're not going to deliver software faster or cheaper when you first adopt Agile. It's going to be more expensive. It's going to take more time. This is what we forget sometimes when we're trying to sell the Agile vision to companies is that this is a significant change for a company. So the the sorts of things I would suggest are speak to people that are already doing the job, Um, ideally with more than six months experience because they'll have lived through a release that's not gone particularly well. They'll have lived through a stakeholder being really unhappy with a demo of a product. They'll have had some of the typical interactions that someone that's been doing this for years has so they'll know how to deal with them. I may be plugging my own thing here, but go to meetup groups. Um, One of the reasons that me and uh, a couple of the other guys that I founded Cambridge Agile Exchange for, we did that because we enjoyed getting together to share our experience with each other at work. And we did that off our own cuff. Um, You know, we did that because we wanted to talk to each other. We enjoyed sharing. 
and we wanted to do that wider. And we only kicked that off because we thought we had a bit of knowledge that we could share that might help one or two people. And three years down the line, that meetup is still going really successfully, ideally helping lots of people. So look for meetups, look for people that are doing this role. By all means, read some of the material that's out there, but just temper that with the fact that that book or that certification course was done at a point in time to solve a particular problem. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give an example of that. Um, the Spotify model that gets talked about um, in Agile a lot um, with um, teams of people um, coming together and being really successful. Um, that was used at Spotify for a couple of years before they changed to something else. And it suddenly became externally this nirvana that every team should head for. Everyone should adopt the Spotify model. And it doesn't work for most people because it was made for that company, specifically for that company, to solve a specific set of problems that they had at that point in time. It's not something that they've packaged up to sell to other people. So right. by all means, read about it. Yeah. Don't necessarily copy it. Right, okay. That, yeah. yeah, it does make sense. One thing on that then. So um, we're all, this, exactly what we're doing now and, and everything about our whole business model, to be honest with you, is promoting kind of community and meetup groups and things like that. Yeah. Um, if you've got a link that you can send me later, um, maybe yeah. to give some information on the uh, Agile Exchange meetup group, yeah. I'll make sure that it goes out in the marketing with this podcast. Yeah, great. Um, so anybody who's interested can uh, can sign up to that, sign up to your yeah. meetup group, etc. I mean, uh, the, the great thing now is that it's fully remote because uh, yeah. you know we're meeting up in person. So uh, you know the membership is certainly increasing across the country and and even in South America for some. Oh, reason. really? Yeah, we have a oh, South yeah. American following now, um, which is quite strange but useful. Uh, an opportunity to go over there and have some. Uh, so host a proper meetup when everything, uh, <laughs> if, if everything returns back to normal. Yeah. Um, so another question that came in: Are there any? Um, I mean, are there any particular mistakes that you see businesses make when kind of reverting over to agile, or any kind of typical scenarios that kind of seem to repeat themselves that if people know about in advance, they could hopefully avoid? Yeah, I, I, I've touched on these uh, earlier, but the, the two typical ones that I've seen um, and, and I've done myself are the first is to try and do all of this by the book. Yeah. Uh, so you read, uh, you know, something, I keep using the Scrum Guide, but that's typically the one that I see that gets abused incorrectly, um, is that you'll read that and then you're going to try and apply that to your teams. Um, and Scrum is just one of hundreds of different techniques that has got an agile flavor to it um, that you can use and if you try and jam that into your own teams your own company your own divisions um, that's not going to work in many cases and it will actually make it worse and it will annoy your staff so that's the one that I've done in the past and, and it led to incredible heartache in the team that I was working with because they were being forced into something and they, they lost a lot because of the fact that I forced them to adopt Scrum. Yeah. Um, so that was a real lesson learned for me, and it was a lesson that was learned in real upset and difficulty with that team that I had caused because I'd forced them to adopt something that they weren't comfortable with, didn't understand, and to be honest, didn't work for them. Yeah. Because I'd read this book, I thought I knew everything. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the beauty of that, though, in hindsight, you're, um, you're the, the kind of person who can actually look back at that and take responsibility for it. I expect yeah. there are a lot of people who would have said it was the team's fault, not yours. Yeah, and, and um, that's the danger. It's a lot about character. It says a lot about your character, yeah. to be honest. Um, um, I mean, and, and I guess the second one is, is again, I've touched on, is um, sending 20 people out onto a Scrum Master um, course. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a two-day course you'll learn the absolute basics. You won't learn about the experience that comes with that role. You won't learn about the things that will go wrong and how to deal with them. And at the end of that, you have a 45-question quiz, I think, which is multiple choice. Um, You have to get a very low mark to pass it. And at the end of that, you are called a certified Scrum Master, Um, which I've seen firsthand destroys departments if that person then comes back and is put in a position of responsibility with a team and has only got that to rely on. Um, It led to the person that did that course quitting the company within six months of doing the course and me then having to spend the next nine months trying to fix that team, set of teams, Um, all for the cost of a £350 course. Right, okay. Thousands. Right. No, good. <laughs> yeah, good overview. Thank you. Um, I think that kind of we're coming up to the forty minutes. And I always try and like I like to keep it at the forty minutes because yeah. every, everybody's busy. Um, we, if we wang on too long, we don't want to be boring people. Um, but a couple of additional questions. So, what what's next for Ben? Have you got like um, have you got like targets in mind for yourself that you want to be achieving from where you are at the moment? Um, kind of, kind of, it's to get an understanding of how would somebody else follow in your footsteps. Where are you? Where are you going? Um, I think for me, um, I think Redgate will have to carry me out in a box. To be honest, <laughs> to, to, to move on from there. Um, for for me, it's really been the the nirvana of, of places that I want to work. And and I'm not saying that because it's my current employer. I'm, I'm yeah, saying yeah. because it genuinely is the place where I've got absolute freedom to do the things that really appeal to me for my, my job as an agile coach, particularly and as a people manager. Um, yeah. So I, I, I see me just wanting to help my teams be as effective as they can and for people to be happy. And, and when I'm talking about people, I'm talking about my teams and the people that use those products. Um, I think that's that's all you can really hope for. Really, is that the people that end up using your products enjoy them, and that they're valuable, and that the people you work with enjoy their job. Um, so that's that's. It sounds like a very fluffy unicorny style. Yeah, yeah, no. But that's that's what I want to do. Um, I know lots of people talk about wanting to work at somewhere like Google or Facebook, but um, I know people that have worked at those places, and um, it's. Um, you know, all places have their difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know Chen? Chen Chen? Yeah. I helped Chen move to Cambridge a few years yeah. ago. Um, I actually helped him and then he, he joined a business in Cambridge. Um, he's at Redgate. He's, he's now yeah. with Facebook. He is, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's with Facebook now, but he, he's yeah. on the podcast with us in a couple of weeks' time. Ah, excellent. Um, yeah. yeah, it's going to be having a chat with Chen about his journey. Hey, hello to him, me. Yeah, he's a good guy, Chen. He's a great guy. Um, yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember him very well from helping him move across. Um yeah. Okay, if you, what advice would you give somebody who wanted to follow in similar footsteps to yourself? So maybe not from a technology um, background, untraditional, didn't do the computer science degree, um, but maybe has that kind of 
passion for technology and, and would like to get into it from a more kind of commercial perspective? Um, don't lose faith, I, I guess, um, is, is the answer I'd give. Um, a lot of the jobs I've done um, have been really difficult. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. IT jobs are not easy for, you know, aspects of the job that you do. Um, you have to, you know, work with people that have got lots of different opinions to you. Um, you have to try and come to a consensus, which is not always the best outcome that everyone wants. Um, and you have to work with very demanding deadlines sometimes. Um, but keeping the faith of actually, I feel like I'm adding value here, I'm helping, um, is really important in this sort of job. Um, and absolutely, you do not need to have a, a computer science background to do this job. I've never had a computer science degree background or anything like that. I didn't do university courses on it. Um, but I had an interest in IT and, and that was enough. Um, and I think in some ways that's actually helped me speak to engineers because I don't have the background in software development. It means I get them to think about it in much more um, common terms than the technical terms that we'll sometimes throw around in our teams. So if they can explain it in a way that I understand, I always call this the idiot test with me. Um, if they can explain it and I get it, then we've probably built something that our users are going to understand and it's going to be a good product because it's going to be simple. Um, you know, Redgate's um, slogan is ingeniously simple and, and we really do need to live that when we're building products. It needs to be something you can pick up and understand really quickly. Okay, yeah, good, thank you. Uh, and last one, um, what would you say is the biggest challenge in the industry right now? Is there any kind of one particular challenge that needs tackling, needs discussing, and that people need help with? Uh, I mean, there's, can, can, I, can I cheat and give two? Yeah, 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 two is good. Um, I prefer two. So there's, there's one that's specific to my background, which is around Agile, which is, is the, the danger of it eating itself as an industry rather than actually trying to help people, which is, it, it seems to be a lot about making money at the moment rather than actually helping companies and teams and customers. So it's it, the advice I'd give there is to tread carefully and always do your research. Um, and I guess the second big issue that's facing all of us right now, not just in IT, is remote working. Yeah. Um, we at Redgate, I, I've talked about us having a strong culture, which I think has helped us, but you know that was earned face-to-face -face before we went remote. Yeah. And we have to spend a lot of time intentionally working on that culture whilst we're remote to continue to make remote working work well. Um, so it's something that I, I think we really do need to put effort into, intentional effort, not just a, you know, a slight consideration of, you know, are we using the right tools? Are we making sure our people are okay? But we need to spend a lot of time on things like well-being and work-life balance because it's very easy now working remote to fall into the trap of always being available. Um, you know, right now, talking to you right now, my, my work desk is next to my bed. So it would be incredibly easy for me to roll off my bed in the morning, straight into work and roll off my desk onto my bed at nine yeah, or 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And knowing when to have that split throughout the day is something that specifically at Redgate, we've spent a lot of time working on is making sure that we are forcing people to get up from their desks. Um, so that's that's the challenge, I think, is how do we look after our people when we're working remote? No, that's interesting that you say that, actually, um, because 
we ran a um, a roundtable event with three CTOs from um, different technology businesses. It was only a few weeks ago, yeah. uh, and discussing the implement implications of remote working. Um, what should we be looking out for? What, what, how are people going to need to be supported? How will it affect culture, etc.? Um, and off the back of that, one of the biggest things that came out was um, was actually mental health. Yeah. So it's just making sure that you're supporting everybody's mental health when it comes to kind of working on their own, being siloed, etc. Um, so off the back of that, then we actually span up to additional events where we had a um, a clinical psychologist called Dr. Hannah Taylor who came on with us to kind of talk about how you can support your mental health while working remotely. Um, and then we had another lady who joined us who is a specialist in um, in meditation, so wellness, uh, mindfulness meditation. Um, and she kind of gave us some tips and advice on kind of how to look after your, your mental well-being whilst, whilst working from home. Um, so it's definitely a topic that's of interest at the minute and yeah. it's something that's really, people are people are giving it attention, which is good. Yeah, and, and that's great. And, and, you know, particularly what, what you've done there, Sean, in, 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 you know, doing those two specific um, meetups to, to talk about this because it's something that we don't talk about enough and it's so important at the moment is, is mental health. Um, yeah very easy to fall into the trap of forgetting to look after yourself in in this sort of environment that we're in now is yeah uh, yeah that's 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 a good thing to do i think and i'd yeah, love us to do that yeah well we, we we actually recorded all the events and sent them out to all our customers mm-hmm. um and there was definitely tens of people who came back that said they'd taken things out of the events and implemented into the businesses yeah. uh, and it had really helped them so uh yeah, it's all about giving back. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, Ben. Um, for having me. Yeah, like I said, send over the uh, some information on the uh, Agile Exchange Meetup um, so that I can get that out with any marketing on this episode. Um, but apart from that, I'll uh, speak to you again soon. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified of any future conversations with leading technology managers. If anyone would be interested in coming on the podcast, feel free to reach out at sean, S-E-A-N, dot R-A-G-A-N-I-S, at progress-talent.com.